Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Rare Book School Summer Lecture Series. I'd like to begin by thanking uh, Harrison Small Special Collections Library uh, for their cordial hospitality and availing us the use of the facilities. Our speaker tonight, Garrett Herman, is a man of many parts. Before coming to the firm Lowen Andachi McCutcheon in Toronto, where he is CEO, he worked at Merrill Lynch Canada for some 20 years, rising to executive vice president and chief administrative officer, as well as member of the board of directors. In addition to his many professional attainments, which I will pass over here, he is a major player in cultural, humanitarian, and environmental causes, serving, for example, as director at large of the Multiple Sclerosis Society of Canada and a director of the MS Scientific Research Foundation. He is director of Grapes for Humanity Canada and on the board of directors of Grapes for Humanity Global Foundation both of which raise monies for humanitarian causes around the world with the assistance of the international wine community. What a clever expedient that is. <laughs> and they get to drink some really good wine, I'm told. Intriguingly, he is the immediate past honorary consul of the People's Republic of Bangladesh. Garrett is also president and director of the Charles Darwin Foundation of Canada, which he founded in 2001 as a Canadian member of the International Network of the Friends of the Galapagos. And that's an organization that does landmark environmental work. Of course, it is as a world-renowned collector of and authority on Charles Darwin that Garrett Herman comes before us today. His collection includes more than 5,000 volumes of Darwin's works, as well as Darwin manuscripts, ephemera, association copies, and realia. The collection which Barbara Heritage and I have had the enormous pleasure to visit also includes a copy of the Times of London for every day of Charles Darwin's life <laughs> and way beyond as well. He has lectured widely on Darwin and his significance to groups nearly as august as the one gathered here this evening. <laughs> Among them, the New York Academy of Medicine and something called the Grolier Club. His collection was on exhibition at the Grolier Club for three months in 2004, and the catalog was published as Darwin, the Evolution of the Man. Garrett did the catalog. It was his collection. Ladies and gentlemen, it's truly an honor for me to introduce you to Garrett Hurley. Thank you very much, Michael. That was um, more than just pleasant. I think you went a little overboard. Um, welcome to you all for um, uh, joining us this evening. Um, I'm going to um, take you on a little journey, and um, it um, will unfold as we go ahead. It is a um, something that um, I hope it's not so I'm starting off in a very, very low level, and uh, we'll build up as we go. So um, here we go. So there are three main um, subjects I'm going to deal with. I'm going to deal with the book collector and uh, how it all came to be, uh, the library itself and the uh, cerebral journey that uh, I've been down and hopefully guests to my library uh, share. And uh, the last part of the... Uh, talk will deal with some of the interesting people that I've met on the way through. And uh, you'll see that it's uh, not just a, a collection of book people, it's a collection of people in general, 
and uh, I'm going to share some of those uh, those relationships with you. So we might as well start at the beginning <laughs> with a picture of myself as a child. Uh, I'm the one on the right. The fellow on the left was my first best friend, and um, we uh, were sitting at that's his front door. We're facing south. The sun is on us. And we're trying to figure out what to do. It's a Saturday. So one of us suggested to the other that we borrow some money from our parents. So that was a good start. <laughs> so we each got a $20 bill, and we went to the bank with the money. And we said, can you please break this into $40 worth of pennies? And anyway... Uh, a little fast forward, we had to keep finding new banks as we kept doing that. <laughs> and uh, we would take that whole bundle home and we would go through them and find um, dates of significance that were in the change. And uh, then we would go, we'd roll them all up again, take them back, turn them into nickels, dimes, and we couldn't afford quarters yet, but we did that in later years. Anyway, it's quite amazing what happened. We, at the age of eight or so, uh, had quite nice coin collections for hardly any cost. Anyway, uh, Ronald moved away. Um, I think he was about nine. He was a year older than I was. And he moved away, and I didn't see him again for a long time. But anyway, uh, we both went on to stamps after that. And uh, after Ronald left, I moved on to plate blocks. I remember going to post offices, saying, oh, I would like uh, this issue. And then I said, but I want to see the plate it came from first, make sure I didn't have it. So, and then first day covers and U.S. and Canadian uh, commemorative stamps. Anyway, this is all as, you know, before even being a teenager. Anyway, so there's some pictures of actual coins that I still have in the little books. Some of you might find those books familiar. Anyway, fast forward to about 22 years ago when I um, got separated and... I found myself in a rented apartment with the basics, bed, table, a couple of chairs, and an antique bookcase. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I said, well, I think perhaps I should put some antique books in this antique bookcase. So I said, okay, so which books? So, you know, with the world of books out there. So I came across this um, little bibliography called Printing in the Mind of Man. And um, it seemed to be a respectable dialogue. Uh, that I had with friends as I talked about the contents of this book. So I set out to start collecting first editions coming out of this uh, PMM. Anyway, so I started with Bentham, Booth, Darwin, Freud. Anyway, so I started going down, and then I noticed that some of these books are really too expensive for my, my bank account. So I had to settle for a second of Malthus, and then I, a Newton, the Brincipia was like way overboard. <laughs> so I had to go for second and thirds. Anyway, as I was collecting these books, obviously I'm starting to read up on each of these authors. And I'm starting to find that, uh, you know, to collect, like, Harrison, I've got to be collecting Neville Masculine. To collect Darwin, I've got to be collecting Lyle. To, like, none of this was simple. So the more involved I got, I said, well, this is really, um, it's going to be quite complicated. Anyway, on top of that, I started to realize that the first edition was really not the, necessarily the most important edition, and that the editions that are revised by the author during his lifetime was the, now my important issue. So in the case of The Origin, I've uh, you know, got the first six, and the uh, Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, you need the first three, and it sort of went on from there, and I started to get the idea this was going to be a, different, a difficult challenge to keep a collection you know, within the walls that I was dealing with. Uh, then I started to think about languages. And uh, the one on the right is the first edition, Russian, of the origin. And it was published five years after the, uh, the original origin. And then there's a, a Yiddish copy of The Descent of Man. So now I've got a lot of different parameters going at the same time. And then, of course, bindings. And uh, the only thing I found out about bindings is... This is the quickest way um, to get a $100 book to be worth 10000 is you get Michael Wilcox to bind it for you. <laughs> and um, 
Michael Wilcox, um, there was a five-year waiting list, and I think uh, I waited at least that. And uh, the only one I know that, and he's retired now, but the only one I know that is able to get books out of him fast is Jeremy Norman. I don't know what, his, what he's got going, but he seems to get them. But anyway, so at this point, I'm, I'm in an overwhelmed state. And um, this is my solution. I say, I've got to focus. I'm out of control. So I trundled off to Christie's in New York with a briefcase full of my uh, finest first editions and some of the seconds and thirds. And I disposed of them. And I felt better. It didn't actually give me any space on my shelf because they, the expensive ones, you know, there weren't that many of them. Anyway, so we moved on and uh, I began to focus on Darwin, uh, everything by and about Darwin, his family, anything to do really that touched him. Uh, not only books, but ephemera and other things. So what I'd like to do now is to take you to the library. Now, the thing about the library is it also evolved. It started, I'm, oh, and I moved out of that apartment too, by the way. <laughs> I should mention that. So I bought a huge house for one, and um, I'm now at a state where there's hardly room for anybody to live in it. But anyway, I'll share that with you. So... Uh, here's the, uh, the home. It's uh, about a 110-year-old uh, home in uh, Toronto. And what is interesting about this is whenever I bring people into my house to talk about Darwin, uh, we always end up talking about religion. And it's, it doesn't matter who, even academics. Um, <clears throat> somehow we get on that subject, and it was a little disconcerting to go into the Darwin Library and have to be talking about religion and time passes quickly and before you know it, it's time to leave. And we've talked, you know, we haven't even got to the other collections. Anyway, so this is something recent. I set up a religious room. And this is what you are greeted by when you come in my front door and just on the right next to the staircase and I've got it roped off for a little, make it a little more austere and important. But really what I have in there, what I have in there are icons, books, um, statues of all different religions. And I've actually made this a fun thing to collect. When I travel, I'm always looking for that other religious icon. I have um, a number of pagan items in there. I have uh, pretty well uh, n a lot of native uh, paraphernalia. I've got uh, things from Tibet, uh, sacrificial bowls. And anyway, it's expanded. But the real purpose of that room is to discuss religion. And I really want to discuss it and only religion in this room. And uh, so there are about those in Hong Kong. Uh, I see a Bible there. The, um, that Tanjura print, I bought it in Bombay. So they come from all over. And um, there are two chairs in this room. And I sit people down, and we talk about where were you born, what religion were your parents, what religion are you now, how did you get from there to here, and we get into all of that. And uh, it's actually a lot of fun, and it's actually surprising what people have got to say about their upbringing. Anyway, and they've usually got to, and they feel better too, because a lot of people say, oh, you know, I always thought this, and now I think this. And anyway, it's, it's a very personal thing, and also... I make a point, okay, this is it for belief, myth, religion, whatever you want to call it. It stays in this room. Now we are going into the world of science. Oh, Corinne. I have to have one of those because a lot of people have never seen one, never touched one, and are afraid of it. So I, I want to make sure that they see it just fits in very nicely along with the other things in the room, along with, uh, I have a, an old Bible, uh, 1485, it's, uh, so there are a few books there, but not too many. And then, of course, I have a Barry Mosier uh, uh, Penny Royal Caxton Press Bible, which um, I don't know if any of you have seen this. I'm, I'm sure some of you have. But it's, um, Barry Mosier is the first man in 150 years to do all the illustrations for a Bible. And those illustrations are all black and white, and they're all pretty scary looking. And I remember saying to him, Barry, why are they so scary looking? He says, have you ever read the Bible? 
Anyway, so now we're going to go into the Darwin Library and we're not concerned with religion anymore. So this room is, uh, was my dining room. It became a, a library one night after a couple of drinks. <laughs> and I was looking around my house for anything that looked like bare walls. Anyway, um, uh, on the left you see a wall of green. Those are all the John Murray versions of um, Darwin's books. Uh, to the right there you have the brownish red. Those are all Appleton, the American uh, copies. So there's multiple editions of all of the books. And um, there's another view of the same room. You can see that uh, there's not a lot of wall space left along the top there. Um, that room uh, will sit 12 comfortably. And uh, we quite often have evolution dinners. And I invite a mixture of uh, academics and business people and whatever. And it's a lot of fun. And um, that's the perfect room for it. One of the items in the room, I mean, I have a lot of items. And I mean, some of them, I, I have a first edition of the, uh, the joint letter that uh, Wallace and Darwin um, presented. Well, they didn't present it personally. Neither of them were there. But it was read at the Linnaean Society. And um, this is the thing that set off the whole controversy and uh, forced Darwin into publishing The Origin of Species, a book he had been working on for at least 20 years, and he was nervous about actually publishing it. So that's one of the items there. Uh, of course, the first of the origin. Um, I have some interesting uh, books. I thought I just I picked out a few of them. Um, this is um, a book on that's a, a two-volume set of Emma Darwin's letters, and this just happens to be one that has been signed by most of the family. So those are all uh, Charles Darwin's sons, daughters, another son, George's wife. Anyway, it's just a nice little um, piece of ephemera to have. Here's a, a rare. Uh, a rare version of um, uh, an associated book. When, when uh, normally, as you know, uh, you get a lot of books from the author, where the author gave a list to the publisher and said, please send this book to this list of people. So most of the um, copies say from the author. It's very rare in Darwin's case that he was actually to write the name of a person in there in his own hand. And Dr. Allen is actually mentioned in the book a couple of times. So uh, obviously, he uh, he helped Darwin with his uh, the information. Here's um, a unique item in that um, it's an honorary degree that Darwin received from the Royal Surgical Society. Um, he received over 80 honorary degrees, of which I think almost uh, almost 75 or more of them are at Cambridge University. So there's not too many of them floating around. Here's a letter. Um, I have a number of Darwin letters. I point this letter out really because if you'll notice there's a date on top, January 23rd, there's no year, and then there's Dear Sir, so there's no, no recipient's name there. So I mention this because Cambridge has a, um, a project going called the Darwin Correspondence Project, and they have uh, many thousands of letters to and from Darwin, and they've got to sort them all out. And can you imagine having 12,000 letters sitting on a table and they're all to Dear Sir and no dates? So that's why it's taken them, I think, almost 20 years so far and they're halfway through. Anyway, that's... Um, of course, I have the 20 volumes that they sit at today. Uh, here are a couple of items in the room. One is uh, I had a, a, a model of the Beagle uh, commissioned. So I told all my friends that I had a ship commissioned and I didn't tell them, it was just a... A little model. Um, on the right side there, there's a, a mezzotint of Darwin done by uh, Julia Margaret Cameron, who was, uh, I guess, the most famous Victorian portrait photographer. And she had taken two photos of Darwin, and this is actually the rejected one. Uh, so that's a, a good piece as well. And then below that, there's a picture of the, um, the Darwin correspondence team with me in it, uh, my, my last visit there. Uh, we have, um, I have a fourth edition Origin of Species uh, with the book plate of Charles Kingsley. And um, 
course, that was one of the um, important supporters of Darwin when uh, The Origin was published. Uh, as you know, Darwin was very uh, in need of uh, outside support, and um, Kingsley was one of his good supporters. In fact, wrote The Water Babies as a result of reading The Origin of Species. Uh, children's collection, books on evolution and Darwin. Here's an interesting piece which I have here on the table for anybody who wants to see it afterwards. Um, in the U.S. there was a copyright position that British authors could not receive any royalties on their books when they were published in the U.S. And this is a two-sided uh, piece of paper. It's a, a call to by a list of authors to change the copyright laws. And this is the one, every time they recruited a new author, they uh, had the author sign the bottom where all the names were printed. And of course, the next version would go out with that author as part of the print. So this is the one with Charles Dar Darwin's signature on it. Um, here's a, a recent arrival in my library. And um, this was a, um, an auction at Sotheby's. Uh, Randall Keynes, the great-great-grandson of Darwin. And if you notice on the left, M.K., that's Margaret Keynes. That was Randall's grandmother. Um, and uh, she was a Darwin. Her husband was a Darwin. Anyway, this is the uh, book by Elizabeth Gaskell called Wives and Daughters. And this was one of Darwin's favorite novels. And this book actually was the last book read to him before he died. And that is Emma Darwin, his wife. That's her uh, writing on the right side there. Uh, she's giving the book to uh, her son Leonard. Um, anyway, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a, getting pretty close to the subject where this was the last book read to him. And his great-great-grandson is the one that said, he alerted me to the fact the book was going to be for sale. And he said, this is going to be in this auction and, and it needs a good home and uh, I would really like you to have it. So it was kind of a high-pressure situation. <laughs> but it's really something special to have. I don't really have a lot of things that I know Darwin touched or whatever, but this is one item I'm sure uh, he's had you know, in his hand. So we're going to move on to the 19th century library now. And in this library I have all of Darwin's supporters and some of his critics. Um, there's a book in the center there that you might notice, Michael. There's a private little presentation up there. Anyway, so in this room, um, I have all of the, um, the main players around uh, Darwin's works. Uh, these are books that he would have read or books of his uh, supporters and critics. Uh, so Wallace, obviously, there's a collection of Wallace. of over maybe 75 different versions of Wallace. I have Huxley, probably the same amount of Huxley. Uh, we have Lyle. Uh, I've got a whole whole case of Lyle. It, um, I mean, this was the probably the that this book here, the first edition of the Principles of Geology, probably the most important book uh, that Darwin read. Um, he took it came in three volumes. The first volume was available when he left on the Beagle, and as his five-year journey took place, the other two volumes followed. And um, it, uh, you know, obviously in the Galapagos, geology is a very important um, background to have. Anyway, as the years progressed, Lyle used to actually go to Darwin and ask him geological questions. So the tide really turned over the years, but certainly at the beginning, this was very, very important. Uh, Asa Gray. Uh, American scientist at Harvard, um, really, really the most important American supporter of Darwin's theories. Uh, Nature, the scientific journal, uh, was founded in 1869. This is where my presentation gets a little weird, and you'll see what I mean in a second. <coughs> we have, um, uh, in 1869, Darwin is in there 37 times up to 1882 when he died. And, of course, all of the other people in that room are in there as well. Uh, Huxley, Wallace, Lyle, uh, you know, Hooker, Henslow. Um, anyway, what happened here is uh, I liked nature so much, and I was actually subscribing to nature 
for my business. And um, I liked it so much I had to get every one of them. So I actually have every edition of Nature right up to today for me, to, and it's a weekly. So I have 70, over 70 linear feet of nature at my office that are not in my home anymore. So now we're going to move into the um, London Times Library. And this is the library that has 60,000 newspapers and includes all of Darwin's life and the lives of a lot of other people. It goes from 1805 to 1969. So there's a lot of interesting uh, history in there. Um, the problem with going in there and getting the history is that I rarely come out finding what I went in to look for. <laughs> and the reason is the tangents you go on. And when you talk about collecting, um, like when you have, I mean, I do have up here, uh, I've got a pile there, I have, I've printed out everything that mentions Darwin up to the year 1900 in those newspapers, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's, it's quite a bit of, uh, you know, it's five volumes. But the main thing is when you're looking for those, the next column has something just as interesting. And um, I mean, I've had a number of different uh, opportunities to have people come and look. Uh, a fellow that writes books on shipwrecks, he said, oh, I want to go and check and we go in there, and, we, and he's got the date of when, you know, roughly the date when the ship went down. And we go through every day for like a month. He said, well, you know, we're running out of time. So then he comes back again. Like, you never do it in one sitting. Because you, you get on to, you know, news traveled slowly in those days. Um, tangents you go on, then on the, you know, something else on that page. Uh, but anyway, that room gives a lot of people a lot of pleasure. Not necessarily involving Darwin or evolution, but... Uh, pleasure anyway. Uh, this is one thing that I have out. Uh, this is the, um, the review of The Origin of Species in the Times that came out after The uh, Origin was published. This was uh, anonymously written, but everybody today knows it was Huxley that wrote it. I've had, um, well, for example, like Michael Roos was in one day. He's at the University of Florida. Uh, he's a a Darwin uh, specialist. And he actually seemed a little giddy when he's touching this. Like He was like getting light on his feet. I don't know. So I said, you know, what's wrong, Michael? He says, I've read this a hundred times. But actually touching the paper that was on the street corner that day? You know, like it's, it's really... I mean, I have an audience here where you, you, know, you appreciate print, obviously. But... So now we're going to the uh, 20th century library. Um, this is uh, from 1900 to today, so now I call it the 21st as well. It, um, it's not strictly evolution. <coughs> in this library we, uh, we bring in some other items such as um, intelligent design, we bring in creationism, we bring in debates. Uh, this is a more flexible room than uh, others. <coughs> Obviously, got Hitchens, Dawkins, Gould, <coughs> a huge atlas of creation. They weigh 12 pounds each, so it's 36 pounds of books. <laughs> it's published in Turkey. I don't know why, but that's where it came from. It's very pretty. It's full of beautiful um, colored photographs, and it's, it's quite well done. I've got a collection of uh, the Scopes trial. <coughs> I've got about uh, 20 items. You know, Clarence Darrow, the lawyers, and uh, all around the, the Scopes trial. It's quite amazing how little things change. <laughs> this, this could have been written last week. So uh, that's it for the library. I, I hope that the, the trip through the library was interesting. And uh, now we're going to go and deal with some of the people that have been on that trip. So obviously um, book dealers, we, uh, there's just a, a few of them. Um, they've been to my house, I've been to their stores, I've been to fairs, you know, and I guess any of you that are book collectors, you know the story. 
then the Groyer Club uh, came to Toronto um, in 2005. <coughs> I get everybody to sign the book when they come in. There's some familiar names there. Um, but just the, like the Groyer Club itself has been a tremendous um, networking tool for books. And the great fun of going on a trip with people that are as deeply interested in books as you are. Um, like, I don't really have any friends that I could say that's, you know, friends I had before book collecting that are really into it so much that um, they're all new friends. Any book collectors I have are sort of new friends. But anyway, the Groyer Club is a great place to go. I also belong to the AIB, which is a European group. Um, so that's another way to get around with book people and see tremendous books in uh, institutions where you normally wouldn't get access. Uh, I'll give you a little story about Kingsley. <coughs> the copy of Kingsley, the, the fourth edition of The Origin that I have, uh, one day uh, a professor from York University was in my home and we were looking at it and um, we noticed there were some um, inscriptions and there were some uh, sort of doodles in the book. So we decided to um, we decided to um, see if maybe it was Kingsley's writing. Anyway, um, um, I was introduced to this fellow at the University of Oklahoma and um, um, this professor said that he knew this fellow at University of Oklahoma that was writing a book on Kingsley and the subject of the book was Kingsley's scientific abilities. So this was going to be perfect. A copy of the origin owned by Kingsley with inscriptions that could have been his. So we uh, scanned a couple of pages, sent them to him, and yes, it was Kingsley's writing. So um, at that point, uh, Professor Hale wanted to see the book. And he was quite surprised that two days later it landed on his desk by FedEx. You know, with no... That's, you know, it's, it was a lot faster than maybe an institution would transfer a book from one to another. <laughs> anyway, he sent it back, a little worse for wear, I might say, because what he didn't tell me is he wanted to scan the whole book and put it on his website. Anyway, so it came back a little disheveled. Um, and then he sent me this uh, visiting card of Kingsley as a little present. But this is like, that was fun. You know, when you have something that actually somebody wants and then they're going to use it in his book, it was quite a, a cool thing. Um, Janet Brown, she's the uh, bi Darwin biographer. She wrote the two-volume set um, on Darwin. She's a Harvard professor, very well-known in the Darwin world. Uh, she came by. She, uh, she loved the wall of green. She said she never really sat, you know, facing a wall of green Darwin. <laughs> like that. Um, Richard Dawkins, he uh, paid me a visit about two months ago, and um, he enjoyed the library. Um, I had him sitting down in the uh, religious room, just like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody mentioned a podcast, so I don't think I'm going to go the whole way there. But <laughs> anyway, it was uh, quite interesting. That room seems to level. Everybody's the same level when you get in that room. Uh, one day I noticed that the Shrewsbury Public School had commissioned a larger-than-life um, statue of Darwin as a young man in the Galapagos. And um, I thought, well, that'd be nice to have a maquette if, if it existed. So I went out and I uh, sourced the sculptor, and uh, I located her. And uh, here we are. On the left, you have Sarah Darwin, who I invited to the meeting with the sculptor Emma Pearson. And there's the statue. And <clears throat> interestingly enough, uh, Sarah knew Emma from some previous uh, work they did in an art school. So I reacquainted them. And since that meeting, all of Emma's sculptures that involve the Galapagos, which she did more, uh, give 10% to the uh, Conservation Trust in London. So that meeting ended up having a, a good uh, legacy. And there's the statue in my house. Um, it's on the way up the stairs. Here's um, Randall Keynes. I made reference to him before um, as a great-great-grandson of um, Charles Darwin. 
in 2001, Randall uh, sent me, uh, just arrived in the mail, uh, the book Annie's Box. Annie's Box is about um, Charles Darwin's daughter, Annie, who died when she was 10. And um, it um, was about, I didn't read it uh, right away. And I had a trip planned to London, and I thought, well, I'll, and I was going to meet Randall. Randall was going to take me to Downhouse for a tour. I had been there many times, but Randall actually used to play there as a child. So uh, I thought that was going to be uh, quite a little visit with Randall. Anyway, on the plane, uh, I start to read the book, and uh, I have two daughters, and I was just thinking of this, this young girl, and as I'm reading the book, you know, when she starts to get sick, and then in those days you didn't have, like, here, have a shot of penicillin and you're better or whatever. It didn't work that way. Um, they put her through water treatments, they put her through all kinds of things. Anyway, um, as I'm reading this, and it's getting closer, and things are getting worse and worse and worse, and I'm on this plane, and I'm getting tears in my eyes, and I'm saying, okay, this is enough. So I, I turn quickly to where she's passed away, and then I finish the book. And um, so I, I get to London, and um, then I go to Downhouse, and I meet Randall. And we do a tour, and it's quite different when you're with somebody that has actually been there, because um, Charles was uh, very, uh, very famous as far as working with his children. And he had made a wooden slide that went down the staircase. And of course, when you go to Downhouse, you don't see the slide. Anyway, Randall was, uh, I said, Randall, was there ever really a slide? He says, yes, we used to play on it, you know, and it was fun to have the first-hand information. Anyway, at the end of our tour, just as Randall and I were leaving, um, the curator ran up to Randall and said, oh, Randall, this is yours. And she handed Randall Annie's box with all the little trinkets in it and the little toy, you know, things the little girls at eight and nine would collect. And Randall said, here, Garrett, you look at this. And I take it in my hands again, and I'm, I'm in the middle of, you know, a tour, and all of a sudden I got tears in my eyes over this little girl that obviously I never met. And, like, I'm involved with the family. Like, at that moment, this book collecting was far removed from what was going on. Anyway, uh, it's just a, a lovely story, and to get so close to the family members is part of the story. Now, uh, Randall uh, uh, came to Toronto, that was in uh, 2009. Uh, Creation is a movie that was um, developed based on Annie's Box, the book, and Randall was an advisor to the production. Anyway, I went to the premiere and Randall was there, and the next day um, uh, he came by for a visit in my house. Um, but anyway, so that's another um, <clears throat> um, another very important connection that I made with the family. Is he Jeffrey Keynes' son? What's that? Is he Jeffrey Keynes' son? Yes. Yes. So now, um, I don't know what time we are, but I, wa I want to get back to, um, I want to I end with the beginning, if I may. So I've shown you a little about what happened to me after the two of us sat on the front of this step deciding what to do. Anyway, so about 40 years passed since that time when Ronald left my uh, friendship. And uh, we both lived in Montreal then, and I moved to Toronto. I didn't hear a thing about him after that. Anyway, one day I was reading the newspaper, and there was a donation of uh, Maud Montgomery's um, Anna Green Gables was donated to the National Library in Ottawa. And I said, uh, Ronald Cohen, geez, that sounds, you know, I wonder if that's my old friend. <laughs> anyway, so I sent him a letter. I sent a letter and I said, you know, if you're the guy, you know, lived across the street from me, I now collect books and whatever, whatever. So he uh, calls me right away and he says, uh, yeah, I collect books. So I said, well, we got to meet. You got to come by, you know, come next time you're in Toronto. Anyway, about two months later, he says, I'm going to be there. And... Um, Turns out he's the uh, chairman of the Canadian Broadcast Standards Association. So if you have a complaint about, you know, television, <laughs> it's him, you go to him. <laughs> anyway, so he shows up in my office, and I'm looking down, and he's shorter, like he was a year and a half older than I was. I always thought he was a big, tall guy. But I mean, we're only eight. <laughs> so anyway, he was shorter than I thought, and 
he's supposed to be my best friend, but he was just, I never saw him before. You know, it was very uh, strange. But anyway, the important part of the story is um, he was asked when he left the board meeting, uh, where are you going? He said, I'm going to see a friend. So they said, oh, was it an old friend or a new friend? He said, both. Anyway, <laughs> so he came by my house, I t- the office. Then I drove him to my house, and I gave him the tour. And I could tell this was a book collector. Uh, book collectors are a little different when they go on a tour. They're not, you know, you can't, you got to drag them along if you want to get the show on the road. <laughs> Unlike most people, that their eyes are sort of half closed. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, at the end of a two-hour visit, he had to go to the airport. And when he was at the door, he said, oh, by the way, that Mon Montgomery was a small little collection of mine. My real main collection is Sir Winston Churchill. And then that was it. Door closed and he's gone. <laughs> so I find out that um, he's quite a, a collector. In fact, he spent 17 years publishing this book. It's the bibliography of Sir Winston Churchill. <laughs> so if you want to collect Sir Winston Churchill, you go by the Cohen numbers. And that's my first best friend. <laughs> Anyway, you could see that whatever water we were drinking. <laughs> With that, I'll, um, I'll wrap up, and I'll, um, I'll be happy to take any questions. I have a few items here that maybe some of you would be interested in seeing. Maybe I'll just run through what they are. We have a, a miniature of the statue. We have a funeral ticket, and there's a, a typo on the funeral ticket, which is hard to find. Uh, we have a, a, a Braille copy of the origin, uh, it's one of nine volumes. I brought one of them. I have that uh, copyright um, memo signed by Darwin, if anybody's interested in that. I figured the Rare Book School likes things like that. Uh, I have an, um, Darwin in Nature magazine. I, I, had a, um, I took out some of the, um, the 37 uh, issues that are there. Uh, and then the pile there of the Times, Darwin in the Times, and then I have Annie's Box which Randall signed in 2001, and then he re-signed it when he was at my house in 2009. And uh, with that, I'd be happy to take any, uh, any questions. Hopefully, I'll have answers. Questions at all? Yes, sir. Have you had any prominent creationists come and want to visit your Darwin Library? Creationists? Um, I actually don't know any. (laughs) So I may have. A lot of people come through, but no one was owning up to it. When Barbara and I came to visit your collection, you, you He's taught me, Barbara may have already known, something really interesting about the London Times and the multiple editions during the day and yeah. some of its implications for collecting and digitization. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, actually, Ronald Cohen had that question. That's where it came up. When he was uh, putting his bibliography together, he, when he saw my newspaper, and he hadn't thought of this before, he was very concerned about what issue I had of the Times because apparently... There were years when there were seven different issues in a day. So then he thought, you know, it is possible that something in the fast-moving day of the time that, uh, you know, you would have Sir Winston in there in the morning and then pulled out in the afternoon. So if I have the afternoon edition, it wouldn't show up in my paper, but it doesn't mean it didn't exist. So uh, he was going to come and check on some of the dates. He did send me a few dates that I did check on, and, and I had them. So... Uh, but he was supposed to come and spend a couple of days doing that. He never did. But it, you know, you, you don't know the number of issues until you need to find something. So it is possible that uh, there would be something important that if you didn't have the right edition, you would not know it existed. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, do you have many items from Fritz Müller in your collection? I do. Yes. Yes. Um, not too many. I, have, I mean, they're in German. I can't say I'm uh, as close to them as I am to some of the others. I have a colleague in, who's working on Fritz Müller. I might send him to you. Okay. You want to send him in person? <laughs> <laughs>
He's welcome. I have a lot of letters, um, you know, to uh, different people. And uh, I don't know, I might have some of his as well. It's not an area I really focus because I'm not... Yeah, so I do have a number of items, but I'd be happy to share what they are when I get to my computer. Thanks. So your background is in, in business, from what I can tell. How did you get so interested in science? Or do you have a, a background in science? Um, well, my first job uh, after I... Um, no, my first job that I, I actually put myself through university, I was running a research lab for a chemical company. Now, don't think of Monsanto, okay? This was not a Monsanto. This was a small little... I call it kitchen chemistry. It was a... a um, we used to mix cement and different things. Um, but I actually wanted to go into uh, dentistry. And I lived in Quebec. And in Quebec, to become a doctor or a dentist, you needed to get a BA. But if you're going to get a BA and you want to go into science, you better get make as much science out of it as you can. So I have the, a BA with the minimal amount of A and a lot of <laughs> S. <laughs> so that's how I got interested in the first place. But I think uh, it's not so much that. It's more Darwin and how he really caught me. You know, caught me as a person, caught me as a family man. He... Uh, I mean, not, not to mention the work, not to mention the controversy that still is out there. Uh, it's so topical. Um, how brave he was to, to go through with what he did. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things. A, a lot of, uh, you know, he let his kids, his kids always came first in spite of how important his work was. So there's a lot of good things about him that I liked. And, um, you know, I didn't start off really knowing much about it other than what you would read in school. So as I get more and more into it, I get more and more interested in him and the importance of his work. So my background, it sort of morphed into this. It's not, I never became a dentist. <laughs> became a stockbroker. A physician of sorts, I guess. <laughs> Anybody else? What about the other authors whom you collected? Uh, did you sell all those off, or do you have other little special collections of favorite authors yeah. in addition to? Uh, I have a lot of interesting books, the one-offs that I buy just because I like them. <clears throat> Every time I get a guest that uh, is a book collector, and uh, when I, I find out what they're collecting, I get a little worried that they might find my stuff a little boring. I had a, a Grow Your Club member come one day, and uh, he's an ear, nose, and throat specialist. And he, um, I said, what am I going to do to keep him busy? <laughs> so the first thing he saw in my house, I just happened to have the, um, a book on Oscar Wilde. It was a biography of Oscar Wilde sitting there. Because I, I started to buy Oscar Wilde because I had a friend of mine that collected Oscar Wilde. And he told me so many stories about him that were so funny. And I thought, well, I better start buying a few. So I go to a book fair, and I'd find there was nothing for me, but there was something for him, but he already had it, so I bought it for myself. Anyway, when this ear, nose, and throat specialist came in, he said, Oscar Wilde, wow, what are you doing with that? I said, well, why, why are you so interested? He said, Oscar Wilde's father developed the Wilde process for surgery. I said, what's that? He says, it's an ear, nose, and throat procedure that... Oscar actually could have used himself. So he actually died from whatever this was, and his father developed the procedure to solve the problem. Um, but anyway, so that was one book. And then we turned the corner, and I happened to have a, um, a first edition of Helen Keller, The Story of My Life, and it's signed by her. It's signed, she obviously held the pen like this, because it goes through about six pages, you know, indented. Anyway, he said, Helen Keller, that's the heart of my collection. I have one book, and that's it. But so here he was. The first two books he saw in my home, he was you know ecstatic. Anyway, so you never know. Uh, but as far as the books that I had on that list, I have Adam Smith. I have a big collection of Adam Smith. Um, I have uh, Das Kapital, Karl Marx. He he knew Darwin. Uh, they used to go to the British Library together. I always thought that um, uh, Darwin had um, that he asked to to have his book dedicated to Darwin, his first English version of the uh, Das Kapital, and that Darwin turned him down, but apparently that's not true. 
somebody told me that there was another collection that merged and uh, it was someone else that he's referring to, not Darwin. But anyway, so I have Karl Marx. Um, what else do I have on there? Bentham, I still have Bentham. I, still, I have a, a collection of John Maynard Keynes, like a whole collection, like a big one. Uh, like every first edition of everything he's done, which I don't even talk about. Um, no, but it's, it's more economic. I have, uh, I have Mill, like on Liberty. That was one I bought in the, out of the PMM. Uh, Machiavelli I sold, Newton I sold. Um, oh, the John Harrison, which I kicked myself for selling, but the How to Build a Timekeeper. That's such a great story, and uh, and the book doesn't come up very often. I think it's probably worth a lot more than what I sold it for. So yeah, I've got a lot of other interesting things. So clearly, you have this passion for the challenge of much as a collection. Where do you go from here? What's what's going on in book collecting from today on for you? Hmm, that's a toughie. Well, there's two things you Well, first of all, you have to think of the future. You're not going to be around. So you have to think of, okay, so what do I do with this thing? I have it all cataloged, the main part of the collection. Um, I, there are, I gather in the United States there are three groups putting Bible um, libraries together um, with big budgets. I don't, maybe somebody should have an evolution library, like a standalone evolution library. So that's, uh, that would be one thing. I have talked to a number of people about that. It's hard to get like non-book collecting people to be interested in something like that. But you know, maybe there is someone that, uh, like there is none. And the funny thing is that uh, in 2009, when there were so many Darwin functions, uh, there was a, uh, a traveling Darwin show, which uh, stopped in uh, the American Museum of Natural History in New York. And they had trouble getting a corporate sponsor. In fact, they couldn't get one. Um, and then it moved to Toronto, and they couldn't get one and it moved to Chicago. I don't know if they had one there or in Boston. And then it went back to London. But I know in Toronto they couldn't get one, and I know in New York they couldn't get one. There was a, a wealthy individual that did uh, put the money up in New York. Um, so, I don't know, that would be one thing. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite there yet, though. I'm still adding things, but... Also, you, need to have a, you have to need a lot of income to keep adding things when you have so many things. Because the inexpensive ones you already have. So the things you're missing are the, you know. So that's a tough one. And that, that bothers me. Because, you know, I say, oh, my God, it really fits in, but just can't do it. So anyway, if anybody can think of an evolution library somewhere, I'd be happy to have my house back. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett, on behalf of uh, all your auditors, let me thank you very much and give you this uh, token of our thanks, wow. the poster from, from your wow. talk today. And um, ladies and gentlemen, please join us for a reception in uh, Rare Book School's reception area and uh, join me in thanking Garrett for his talk.